Hello, and welcome to the Raising Athletes podcast. My name is Kirsten Jones, and I'm a peak performance and sports parenting coach. And a lifetime, way long time ago, I played volleyball in college. So it's so exciting for me today to have our special guest on, who is just at the pinnacle of his career, having just finished playing um, at the top, top, top level of men's here in the United States before the national team, uh, Jalen. Jasper is going to be here to talk about that. But before we get into that, I just want to say parents who are listening to this, I met Jalen a couple of weeks ago and it was just so inspiring to hear his story, not only about volleyball, but about who you are as a person, who he is as a person. And so I, I'm so excited to share with this, you with this. Jalen, thank you for being here. No problem. Thank you so much for having me. Like the conversation that we had in the gym has been like <laughs> the most like, memorable conversations I've had with a parent at any club tournament. Like. I'm excited to keep it going and just see what else we can talk about. Okay, good. Well, let's dive in then because, um, I don't know, we just started kind of chit-chatting and then the next thing you know, we realized we have so many things in common and people in common that we know. And um, I, I just find, I love it when life is serendipitous and it, it helps us uh, meet the people that we're destined to meet. Um, and I, I've never had, um, I'm, we, we're kind of doing a new thing where we're having current athletes on the podcast, which I love. And I think it's really important to hear not only from the parents and the coaches and the administrators, but from the athletes themselves. So maybe can we start with your story? I know you grew up in Annapolis, Maryland, and you know, you weren't destined to be a volleyball player, right? From the very beginning. So could you tell us about your journey? Uh, yeah, no, uh, from the second that I could hold anything when I was an infant, uh, my dad being a college football coach and uh, college football star, um, he wanted me to be a quarterback. He had me in the yard doing the four or five step drop, learning how to throw. Uh, and very quickly, uh, I recognized that I did not want to do that. I did not want to expose myself to that environment. So I chose basketball, uh, which is a sport that my mother played. Um, I played that for what about, age? What age was that? Ish. Uh, let's see. I I want to say like maybe around like eight, nine, like pretty young. Um, and then I played for ten years, uh, and then eventually, uh, like it just started to get like really serious with uh, high school, uh, getting recruited for college, uh, and I had just played so long that I just kind of felt a little burnt out, and I just wasn't getting as much enjoyment out of it. And again, like my dad being like a very, very uh, passionate and hardworking guy, uh, he tried to instill that work ethic in me at a very, very young age. Um, and it got to the point where I just, I didn't enjoy working out. I kind of was resenting it and it was creating like a lot of tension in our relationship. Uh, so I just picked a sport that he knew nothing about and switched over to volleyball, uh, which my sister started playing when she got to high school. So I basically did the same thing uh, at the end of my freshman year uh, and ended up being decently good. Uh, I made the youth national team uh, when I was a junior in high school. <laughs> okay, I made the youth national team. <laughs> uh, and then I was just training at like a very, very high level with USA Volleyball. Uh, in high school and at the beginning of college. Um, and it just, it really set me up to eventually, because I was also like a good student, um, I got into Stanford and I knew like I wanted to prioritize my education just a little bit over athletics, just cause I knew one day athletics would come to an end and I would need something to fall back on. Uh, so went to Stanford, I played there for two years, COVID hit my junior year uh, and that cut that season in half. So I got an extra year of eligibility for that. 
but then Stanford ended up cutting its program. Uh, so with the information that I had at the time, not knowing if for my fifth year, I would have a team to play on at Stanford while I studied, I made the decision to transfer out and finish my degree at Stanford and then get my master's somewhere else. Uh, and I chose Pepperdine, which is where I would have gone had I not gotten into Stanford. Um, so it's kind of funny how that came around full circle. Um, yeah. but then Stanford ended up bringing their team back, which I'm thrilled about because I don't think men's volleyball could exist without Stanford men's volleyball. Like it's just such a huge program in the sport, uh, that it just, it would not be the same without it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I finished my eligibility here, uh, probably had my best season, uh, in college this past year. Uh, so makes me hopeful and excited for what I might have in the future in volleyball, uh, looking at playing overseas. Uh, I'm also going to start playing a little beach. So we'll Fun. see how that transition goes. I was just looking at the stats for the NC2A and you were the second high, uh, the second highest uh, ranked player in the, all of the NC2A, but you had by far the most kills, 544 kills for the year, which the guy behind you had 75 less kills, which when you only have about, you know, you're you know, hitting, hitting maybe 250, 300 in a match, that means you're hitting 225, 250 more balls than anybody else, right? So you had an amazingly productive season. Is that by far your best season? Uh, yeah, I, I think without a doubt it is. That was amazing. So exciting to see that, how, how it must have kind of grown over time. So you're six, seven. Did you, what age were, what age did you hit your peak height in high school or not till college? Uh, it was definitely in high school. I think I started high school coming in at like six, two, maybe like six, two ish. And then by the time I was done with high school, I was leaving at six, seven, six, eight. Okay. I definitely hit like the majority of my growth spurt in high school. And what's your vertical? Uh, to be completely honest, I don't remember the last time I actually measured it, uh, but I know that it's somewhere between like 34 to like 38. I was just saying, for as high as you jump, I would like have that on every stat sheet that, I, that you're in, every program that you're in. It's so fun to watch you play. You fly through the air. So it, I can see how, why the numbers get to be so high because just putting it, you know, up there for you to hit it. But let's go back and unpack for parents listening to this so you get to high school your dad's saying okay you're not doing my favorite sport but i want you to play basketball do you remember how that ended up unpacking or unfolding with your dad when you said i'm going to go play the sport he's probably never heard of or never supported was that a easy transition or was that a hard conversation uh for me personally uh i think it was it was a scary decision because like I said, I put a lot of emphasis on getting to college and having my education paid, paid for because that's what my parents did and what my parents taught me is the thing to do. Um, so switching sports for me personally was just a little nerve wracking because I didn't know like what my future was going to look like at this point. Um, but it honestly made me feel like a million times better going into practices or when I would go outside, take a volleyball and hit it against the roof and just play with myself and uh, just, you know, experiment with the sport a little uh, just because I felt like for a while, like 
I wasn't really putting as much emphasis on basketball as my dad would have wanted me to. And my sister was playing volleyball at the time. So I would kind of like fool around with the volleyball and he was like, why are you playing volleyball? Like play basketball. Like that's what you're doing. Um, so when I finally just said like, you know what, screw it. Like I'm going to play volleyball. Um, I feel like it kind of got him off of my back a little and he kind of just like took a step back and just, uh, observed like what I was doing and like how I was responding to it and like what my plan was and what my goal was. Um, and I actually think it helped our relationship a bit because when I was playing basketball and he was making me wake up before school at like 6am when I was in middle school, um, and having me go in the garage and do box jumps and ladder works. And you want to know why I jump so high? It's probably because I was doing stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, thanks, Dad. <laughs> no, I will always thank him for that. He really didn't know what was going on at the time, and I really resented it. But I'm happy that he really forced me to because I just think about where I am now. I'm just like, yeah, you know what? It sucked, but I'm happy I did it. Uh, but he kind of saw that, like, I was enjoying volleyball a lot more, and I was smiling on the court. Like, I was voluntarily going out and playing and doing some work with it. Uh, so I think he, he was a little upset and he might've been just a little, he probably saw what I was doing with picking a sport that he didn't play. So he couldn't really comment too much on it. Um, but he just saw that, like, I had so much more passion for it. And like, I liked it so much more that eventually he kind of started to, I remember my mom told me stories that he would stay up until like two, three in the morning, just watching videos about like rotations and you know, how to swing and like how to pass. And he kept his distance for a while and he just kind of like let the knowledge build up while I was like playing and figuring it out myself. And then slowly he started to like, you know, offer me like some advice and be like, Hey, like, how about this? Like you can try this. Um, and then also just being like a coach, like he also understands like, uh, the environment that you're in and how you train has a big impact on how you play. Um, so luckily we are financially comfortable he bought me a like one of those serving machines uh so i can work on passing and work on uh setting and getting hit or getting set and hitting uh mm -hmm. signed up for lessons i flew out to california a few times to train with people out here um i just saw randy at momentus who was my very first ever uh volleyball trainer uh and it, was, it was absolutely insane to see him again he's the first person that i ever like trained with volleyball specifically um but just i think seeing how much more i enjoyed it and that it was my choice and my speed um it took a little time getting used to from my dad but eventually when he saw that i was succeeding and i was excelling and like having fun while doing it he he was all in and all on board in hindsight, because we talk a lot about multi-sport athletes and, and most of the best athletes have played more than one sport in their life. So now with the experience of, of or the, the wisdom of experience, do you feel like you're a better volleyball player because you played basketball? Uh, 1,000%. Uh, yeah. Just in terms of being able to move and athleticism, like a lot of the concepts translated over so well, uh, like uh, shuffling and not letting your feet uh touch i'm trying to think like being able to go off of one foot i'm not a middle but like if i were to hit a yeah. slide like i would be able to do so like effortlessly because like that is the motion for a layup and i see mm -hmm. my i've had teammates in the past uh that i see them try to do that and it just looks 
that's so forced and like not supernatural. And I'm just like, wow, like I'm very happy that I had like that cross training because like it, it really made a lot just so much easier and being athletic also came into play. Um, so like I picked up on things somewhat easy, uh, and, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, I made, I'm a huge, like, if you can play multiple sports, like play multiple sports, like it'll like for physical health, mental health, there are just like so many benefits to not pigeonholing yourself into one sport at such a young age. Yeah. I coach nine and 10 year old girls and you can tell the girls who play softball, like you go to warm up and they, they throw, you know, the ball really, and the girls who don't, they kind of push it this, you know, in yeah. front of, they shot put it and you're like, no, 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 put the ball behind you. And they don't have that natural throwing arm, which is, you know, if you play a ball sport, you you're used to doing so it's there's huge advantages. What about um, injury? Do you feel like you've been less in, injured because of you've been a multi-sport athlete? Has that helped you over the years? Uh, I think so. Uh, I noticed when I was in high school, middle school, I had like some knee problems. I also had some problems with my feet. Like I had very flat feet and like after some practices, I would barely be able to walk. Um, and just from doing some rehab stuff in relation to basketball, um, I kind of learned how to translate that over to volleyball. So like when it came to like warming up, uh, you know, lifting and just doing like, like maintenance exercises, not necessarily like strength building exercises, uh, but just like on my knees and ankles. Uh, I, I had a couple ankle injuries in high school from basketball because uh, I played basketball in high school throughout because it was not a super serious thing and just to stay in shape because I didn't have high school volleyball. Um, but I rolled my ankles, both of them, multiple times. And I think maybe like one or two times I was out, but now, like if I jump and land on my ankle sideways, like it'll hurt for maybe <laughs> 30 seconds. And then I like, I'm good. Like, like I can't really roll my ankles anymore and my knees, knock on wood, my knees have felt great too, just from like running and then jumping and then like, not like constantly just doing like one or the other. Um, yeah, I just think, Ed, one thing I would say, like maybe like my shoulder, I don't really think you use your shoulder as much in basketball. Uh, so that is one thing that I definitely have to take more emphasis on. Uh, to well, just... When you're taking that many swings in a season, I mean, it's understandable, right? <laughs> Holding yeah. the back roll. Yeah, yeah, that's a lot of a lot of reps, and that's just in the matches. So practices and everything else, I can imagine. What do you do? You do a lot of preventative, like bands and um, lifting and all of that. Uh, yeah. So last year, towards the end of the year, because I actually have a tear in my labrum um, and there's a cyst growing on it. I found this out uh, like right as COVID hit uh, and I was already back home. Like I was playing grass with some friends and went to run a ball down off the court and just try to jack it over the net. And just the action of throwing my arm over my head, like something went wrong in my shoulder and turns out I tore something in my labrum. Um, so all of last season, I was actually in excruciating pain, like swinging and towards the end of the season, my relationship with the sport of volleyball, my mentality, like, I just, I was like, super, like, this is not fun. Like this hurts. And like, I'm not playing well, like, why am I doing this? And then this year, my trainer gave me, cause I came in and I was just like, yo, like my shoulder, not well, like we need to do something about it and I don't want to get surgery. So she put me on this PT program that I did 
from the second I stepped on campus and she gave it to me, I did it every single day. Like before practice on weekends, I would go into the training room. Like I was, that was my thing. Like that is how I warmed mm -hmm. up. That is how I grounded myself before practice. And just, I'd throw my headphones on, like blast some city girls and just my shoulder exercises. And I have not, again, walking wood, my shoulder this entire season with the amount of swings I've been taking has just felt phenomenal. So I owe so much of how this season went to Carissa, my trainer. She is the one of the only reasons that I was able to be on the court doing what I did this entire season. Like, thank you, Carissa. So your advice to younger athletes, I know you're coaching club too. What do you, what would, what advice do you have to those athletes who maybe not taking as many swings as you are, but again, they're going to have a hopefully longer, you know, three, four, five more years of playing. How would, how would, what would you tell them as far as handling preventive care? Uh, yeah, well, one of the biggest ones I always say like, just stay active, multiple sports. Uh, if you can, you know, diversify your training regime, that's like just better. Um, but also like, I don't, well, maybe I wouldn't necessarily put uh, middle schoolers through what my dad did to me, even though I'm very happy with the results I got. Like, I think like starting somewhat younger and just having, you know, not necessarily putting kids in like the weight room to like gain muscle, but just teaching them like how to move, like how to, you know, squat and how to bend down properly and how to not use your back, how to swing, uh, and not just use 100% of your shoulder. Um, just like doing some like active recovery and like lift working out, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I'm also just a big proponent of calisthenics and like body mm -hmm. weight sizes and body weight movement. Um, mm -hmm. and also yoga. I, I've been doing yoga every day for the past two, three weeks and I haven't played volleyball, but I feel like I could go out and play volleyball and be totally fine just because I've been doing so much yoga and it's actually like, it's pretty hard. Um, it is, it's a good workout. What about from a mindset perspective? Do you do any meditation? Do you do visualization? Do you have any mantras? Like how do talk, talk to us about how, what are you thinking about when you know you're going to be, you know, there's going to be a lot of pressure on you to perform. Yeah. Um, this is something that I've had to, I've trial and error multiple times, uh, you know, starting at Stanford. Uh, I think like my whole journey with like, uh, performance anxiety and struggling with all of that started from graduating high school and being named like the top recruit in the class. Like, I feel like that immediately just put a target on my back that like, I've never really been able to shake off. So like my freshman year, uh, you know, everybody was expecting me to be good. And luckily I was good. Uh, I was, I have the things on the wall right here. I was all freshmen, all first team, all conference. Uh, at Stanford in general, uh, I won freshman of the year in the entire athletic department. Uh, and, you know, I was feeling fantastic. And then my sophomore year came around and I, I don't think I played bad, but I would say that I probably played the same, if not like maybe slightly worse. And that is, I remember like, as that season was going on, like, I just kept thinking like, oh my God, like I'm not living up to people's expectations. Like I'm just kind of mm -hmm. like coasting now like i'm cruising like i'm not like continuing to get better like i'm not killing every single ball and hitting 1000 every game um did you meet with a sports psychologist or was there anybody there i mean obviously you had the support of your coaching staff but and your teammates but 
Was there anybody off the court that you were meeting with to help you with your mindset? At this point, not yet. Like I thought okay. uh, it was just me and that I needed to figure it out and I didn't need help. And, you know, that is another thing with me. Like I'm always like, figure it out, Jalen. Don't ask for help. Like I have a real issue with asking for help. So <laughs> my junior year. Did people offer you help and you said no, or you just didn't think no. I need, I shouldn't ask? Yeah. And luckily, like I have, like, I have really good people around me. Like, I think the volleyball community is very uh, caring and they just want what's best for you. Um, and it was always just a little, like, I thought it was like embarrassing or like, there's some shame to like asking for help saying, you know, like, mm -hmm. I'm not doing super well. Like, I don't think my headspace is the best to play right now. Um, and I just remember like junior year, it got to a point before COVID hit that I was just like, I would go back to serve and like, I would just, I'd be like physically like shaking and like, I would just feel, yeah, when you serve, everyone's looking at you, but like, it was, it was like different. Like, I felt like everyone was staring, like, not just at me as like a volleyball player, but like everyone was like taking a second to like, look at me as like a person too, because uh, like, I don't know why to be completely honest. Like, I feel like those things are like kind of separate, but like, it just felt like so debilitating that eventually, I was like, you know what, like I need to talk to somebody about this. Uh, and we had had a sports psychologist come into our practice a few times and we'll do like some team group things uh, that I thought were super helpful for just uh, working on team chemistry and how we relate to each other. Uh, but I'd never had thought about, you know, doing it for me personally and like my own personal issues. Um, so I reached out to our sports psych and said like, Hey, like, is there like any chance like we can just talk? Uh, and it, my entrance into it, like didn't really stick. Like we had a few sessions and I was like, Oh, okay. Like, this is cool. Like I enjoy this. Uh, and then COVID and then I went home and then like a bunch of stuff happened. Uh, and then last year in the preseason, uh, or not even the pre, yeah, preseason, uh, after the way I left Stanford uh, and all of that, like I was just in a very, very negative place. Uh, and there was an incident that happened uh, a couple months in around Halloween where uh, I ended up taking like three weeks off of volleyball with a concussion that was just terrible. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, you know what? Like I'm quitting, like I'm leaving, like I don't wanna put up with this anymore. Uh, so I told my coach and my coach said, okay, you should probably talk to somebody. And I said, mm -hmm. yep, yeah, please. And then I started talking to a sports psych therapist here. And at the time I was actually in the school of public policy at Pepperdine. That's where I started here. And mm -hmm. from that, I actually ended up just completely dropping out of that and switching over to a master's of clinical psychology because oh. I just being in therapy and just hearing like what my therapist was telling me and like how I was taking it and just seeing the impacts it had on my day-to-day -day life and just in every interaction I had with anybody, like my coaches, when I walked into practice, my trainer, when I was walking out of practice, uh, my teammates on and off the court, uh, like aside from volleyball, just being a human being, like being able to connect and like relate to people and like just so many different aspects of therapy. I just saw coming into fruition in my day-to-day -day life. And I figured, you know what, hey, like, this is really cool. And like, I am like, so thankful that my coach put me in this and like, my therapist is just so cool and like, open with me that 
if I could do this for somebody else, then I would love to do that because that they talked me off of a ledge. And if I could do that for somebody else, like even just one person, then I will feel like I will have lived a fulfilling life and I would have made a difference. So that is why I thank you psychology. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. And I think it's so it's like such a relevant and pertinent topic right now, because I, again, doesn't matter what level you're playing at, if you're feeling not enough, if you're feeling like this isn't going well, and you don't know where to turn for help. The fact that you, you know, did get help and you did have the resources. And then I love that the silver lining was it actually, you know, looking back, it was it was a gift to you because now it's something that you're going to, you've now, you know, adopted as something you want to do to help other people. So what if you hadn't gone through that? You know, you might've gotten to it eventually, but the fact that you got to it through that avenue of, oh, I was actually in a really dark spot. You're going to be able to help so many people by, you know, them relating, you, you're, you're relating to what they go through and they're saying, Hey, I, I get, you know, what he's, what he's going through. I have lots of athletes that I'm working with now. I have one little client who, she throws up before every event and she's like, I don't know, is that normal? And I think there's a lot of ways our bodies process stress, mm -hmm. right? And we don't even know. And, and they, that's what they just want to hear is like, is it okay that my body's responding this way or am I, is it wrong that I feel this way? Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's such a, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like when it comes to like performance and, you know, finding like a passion for your sport, I think it is just so easy to forget like the mental side of the game. And it's so easy to just kind of get sucked into the philosophy that, you know, like everyone is going through something like just kind of suck it up and, you know, figure it out yourself and like, you're okay, like nothing's wrong with you. Um, and, you know, I don't want to like pathologize and like, you know, tell anybody anything, but like, you know, like if you're not feeling it and like, it's like not really happening for you, like it's worth looking into, like it's worth talking about it. Like it's like just holding it in and just not asking questions. It's, it's not going to help. Like if anything, like it's just going to kind of push you into like a spiral of just negative thinking, uh, or just kind of get you stuck in like these thought patterns that, you know, have you, uh, doing some actions that you might see as self-care but are actually you know bordering the line of like mm -hmm. self-destruction um mm -hmm. so it's just it's it's huge do you remember what tools or was it just through talking i mean you don't have to share if you don't want to but what was there a, a pivot point for you when you felt like oh i'm back or was it a gradual coming back or how did that go for you um well i mean like at my time at Stanford and like I started therapy at Stanford and then COVID. And then I would say like a lot of last year, it was just like me just really working through like what happened in like the fall and, you know, like working through like my shoulder. Uh, so I would say like last year, uh, it was a roller coaster. There were times when like, I thought like I was on top of the world. And then like the next week it would just be like right back down on like rock bottom. And then the next week, it's like, oh, rock bottom has a basement. I'm like, good. So, <laughs> uh, well, like, honestly, I would say probably this year. Like, I remember I got to the fall uh, when I 
finally moved in on campus because it took forever to give me my housing. Um, like I just, I didn't have any other outside distractions. Like I just had me volleyball. Like I had taken the summer to really just kind of focus on myself, uh, and like reset. And I came in just completely ready to like have a new experience. Uh, like I didn't want, you know, some of the things that were weighing on me the last year, the last couple of years to follow me anymore. Uh, and one big piece of advice that really, really stuck with me that I learned from CMAC uh, at Stanford. Um, he told me that he told this to April Ross and April Ross has called him multiple times after she won an Olympic gold medal to tell him that like she used it and it worked. Um, it's just like the concept of like reframing. Um, so like kind of like uh, what we we're talking about earlier, like, uh, you know, some not ideal things happening, but then like it leading to where I am now. Um, I just kind of started to think about things in a way that wasn't just so negative and so down all the time. Like I wasn't mm -hmm. constantly, you know, playing the victim and like, oh, why are things happening to me? Like, why, why is this going on? Like, why is it my responsibility? Why do I have to do this? Like, I just started thinking about things differently and just reframing it in my mm -hmm. mind. And like, I don't know, it might sound dumb, but like, I really think no. just, like, like, the way, like, if you just change the way you think about things, like, like it has like an impact on reality and like how you actually like view things. Like, like, I don't like know how to describe it other than just like powerful. Like it is like, you can really just change the way that like things are like happening, like in your mind and like how you perceive things just by, you know, changing the way that you think about it. And it takes some skill and it takes time. Like obviously like going through uh, some bad things, like you're, first thought is probably going to be like, oh, like this sucks. Like my life is awful. Like why me? Uh, but like once you kind of start to practice it and kind of see that like, oh, like it works. It's just, it's so easy. And eventually it gets to a point where personally, like I feel like some like really bad things can happen to me and I would still be walking around with a smile on my face and like being like the happiest, cheeriest person. Because in my mind, like something bad didn't happen. Like it's like, I just, like it wasn't bad. Like it was not ideal, but you know, something else might come out of this or the lesson I learned from this or like who I am because I went through this. Like I am, I appreciate that. Like it, like the concept of reframing is probably like one of my biggest, like I will push that onto anyone just cause I think it is like, there's nothing wrong with it. And like, it's, oh. it's so effective. I love that, Jalen, and it's exactly what I work with clients on. So you're speaking, speaking my language. And I always say we don't always get to control what happens to us, but mm -hmm. we have 100% control of how we choose to respond. And what is the story you're telling yourself? And we spend about 80% of our day in the future or the past. So we're either complaining about what happened to us or worrying about or projecting what might happen to us. And so much of it is really what's happening to us right now in this moment. And we get to choose. We get to choose how we're showing up. We get to choose what the story is. Look what happened and A happened and B then didn't happen, but C happened. So D got to happen, right? Like yeah. if you always are going around what didn't happen, there's a great Chinese proverb. A man buys this beautiful horse, this beautiful white horse. 
and it's the most wanted horse in the whole village and a war breaks out. And during the war, somebody comes and steals the horse. And they said, oh no, that's horrible. Somebody stole your horse. And the man said, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And then all of a sudden his son goes off to war and finds the horse and brings it back. And he says, oh, that's wonderful. You found your son and you found the horse. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. And then the son rides the horse and breaks his leg. Oh, that's, that's you know, it's great news. That is bad news. Back and forth, the story goes back and forth about you get to decide, you get to attach value to what happens to you. And then that's the story that you're going to tell yourself about your value. And yeah. when you decide, I'm valuable just enough as I am, whether I have the best shoulder, whether I have healthy knees, whether I have, you know, like, playing at the best school or not, like, those are all stories that we get, we get to decide, okay, you know, yes, this is wonderful if this happens, but I'm enough, even if that doesn't happen to me or through me, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think another concept that is like, kind of like related to that um, is just like validation and like seeking like external validation. Uh, like if you constantly are looking towards people to tell you like you did a good job or like you're doing the right thing or like good job like it's like you're constantly going to be looking for that and you're giving other people like the world around you like just so much power to control how you feel whereas like if you're able to like take a second and look at things you know from like an unbiased lens and just kind of look at like how the situation is in reality um like you can like validate yourself like you can tell yourself like hey like i did as best i could like i tried my best like it was not my day like whatever and like if you just think about it like that like it can take away like so much pressure and anxiety uh like this past year um like i had played a big role in my team like i was expected to you know kill a certain amount of balls and there would be uh just some sets some starts to the game where i just would be you know super slow and like not play super well and i would just kind of sit there and tell myself like you know what like jalen you're not having you know the last couple points might not have been ideal but like look at everything you've done so far like look at where you are like the last couple points don't determine like your value in this game they don't determine your value as a human being like it is not representative of if you are the volleyball player as a whole. So, you know, I just kind of take it as it is, let it go. Like you are like, like I said, like I'm a big fan of Megan Stallion and city girls. And like, when Megan the Stallion said, like, I'm that B like been that B still that B will forever be that B. That is like what I tell myself, like, as I walk back onto the court after every time out, it's like, you know what, like last couple of points, you know, might have, been rough but like i'm like i'm doing my best like i'm who i am like everyone's still looking at me and expecting me to kill the balls like i have a job to do and i'm gonna do it um i so. love that and then so you so you do have a mantra so you're listening to this song in your head and you're replacing any negative thoughts with i'm that b you're gonna be that b you're saying that to yourself right so parents who are listening when i work with athletes that's exactly what i say you're going back to serve it's or it's like to go to shoot the free throw and what's going through your head i hope i don't miss i hope i don't miss you know what are the odds that you're going to serve it well when you're the whole talk track is negative but when you flip the script i serve aces right 
I'm that, you know, I, whenever I've got one client, she uses the Taylor Swift song. I'm like, sing the Taylor Swift song because even in lack, the lack of negativity will then put you towards what it is you want to, want to go for. Right. Mm-hmm. So p- putting that, p- being on purpose with what it is that you want is what creates your reality. And I love what you talked about self coaching, you know, would you ever tell your best friend, God, that sucked that you just hit it out. Like, oh, you're horrible. You know, you wouldn't say to them, you know, a negative talk track, yet we do it to ourselves. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so what you were talking about was actually coaching yourself as if you were your best friend. Right? Yeah. Like that is, uh, my, like, I can't even begin to describe I, my self-talk up until probably this year. And like, I had my moments this year just absolutely terrible. Like I would berate myself on the service line, like Jalen, just get this damn ball in. Like there's 900 square feet over there. All you have to do is pick <laughs> one. And it would, just, it was just like super, super, super negative. And I think it took me getting my coach from this year. I mean, I loved my coach last year, David, he was awesome too. Um, so I am no way taking away from anything that he has done for me. Uh, but Winder, like, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the fact that like he played and he was in like our position, like as a four-time All-American ABCA player of the year. Um, But like, I just, like his coaching style just really resonated with me personally. Like I would go to battle, which I technically did every game this season. Like I would do anything for that man, just because he put so much confidence in me. And even when I didn't play well, like there were games, I remember when we lost to Concordia, um, we, I don't think Concordia was ranked at the time. And I think we were seventh, uh, and we lost in four and they handled us pretty easily. Um, and there was one point in the game where I think I got blocked three times in a row and they were on balls that they were set very well. Like I shouldn't, <laughs> I should have been able to kill them, but I just swung straight down and got blocked three times in a row. And I remember I was walking back because I was back row. Like my head was down. I looked up and like saw my coach was just kind of looking at me and I just kind of like muttered to myself, but so that he could see it, I was just like, take me out, like take me out because like he will rotate through our outsides. He'll rotate uh, a middle or two. Uh, but it was just kind of always like he would leave me on the court and like, I was just not playing super well. And I was just, I mentally was not in a good spot in that game. And I straight up looked at my coach and said, like, take me out. Like, why am I still on the court? Like I haven't done anything. And he kind of like rolled his eyes in like a laughing way. And I stayed on the court the rest of the game. Uh, and then two day, the next day in practice, he, before practice started, he like pulled me over to the side and he just said like, Hey, so like, we talked about the game yesterday and he said, I just like, want you to know, like, I'm never going to pull you out. Like you mm-hmm. like have so much value on our team and like you play such a huge role that even when you aren't playing your best, even when you're playing at your worst, like we still need you. And like, I hope you understand that. And I hope you're comfortable with that because you're not getting taken out ever. And I kid you not, like I almost started crying as I was standing right there. Cause I was just like, oh my God, like, like, I don't know how to respond to this. Like that is like the nicest thing I've ever heard. And like, I also just feel like a million times more confident that like <laughs> I can play bad and like, like not get punished for it, but like, I don't like, like, I don't know. I feel like it just took so much pressure off of me to hear him say that. And mm-hmm. after that point, I was just like, Jalen, like if your coach is, who's the person that could sit there, yell, scream, and like 
berate you, but he's, and we lose to a team that's not even ranked. And like, he's sitting there like telling you like, Jalen, I'm never going to pull you out. Like, why am I going to sit there and like yell and scream at myself and make myself feel bad? Like if my coach isn't doing it, like, why am I going to do that to myself? Like, and I love that story so much because it completely frames up why I love coaching and coaching mindset coaching and why I believe there are people like your coach who came into your life at the right time because I believe the power of great coaching like great teachers are sometimes we need someone who believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. Mm. And for him to believe in you more than you believed in yourself and him to be able to articulate that to you so that you could then feel free to go do and be who you were meant to be, right? Because it could have gone the opposite way. It could have been like, I don't know what you're thinking, but you know, that is completely unacceptable and you're the, my leader and blah, yep. blah, 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 right? That's how I no. thought on because I've had coaches in the past that if I would have said something like that, they would have been like, oh, so you don't want to be on the court, you're off. And next practice, you're going to be running however many suicides. And it's just like, why? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, why are you going to punish for my lack of confidence? Like, that doesn't seem like something I should get punished for. Yeah. Because so. nobody wants to pound it into the block three times in a row. Like, that's nobody's goal, right? Like, Yet. Do that either. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. But to have somebody who, and that's what I believe great coaching is, is seeing things in people at whatever level they are. And great coaches coach the star, the way they coach the middle person, the way they coach the bench warmer, the way they coach, you know, they have a gift for everyone to believe that whatever your purpose is on that team, you, you have a role and we need you in order for Jalen to succeed. We need the 12th guy on the bench to also be the best that he can be. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's really beautiful. What a great experience for you to end your college career on too, right? Yeah. Like I had, I've had multiple, multiple coaches, like from college to USA, whatever, but uh, from like Costi to David to Jonathan, uh, like I just, I took a little bit from each one of them. Like they all made me who I am today. I would not be the player I am. I wouldn't have won conference player of the year without any of them. But I definitely think by far in my last season, which is just, it's crazy to think about that. Like I probably learned the most from Winder. And mm -hmm. I think it just comes from the fact that like he's been in a position very, very similar to mine. Like he was, you know, one of the best playing in college when he was playing. Um, and we've probably had like a lot of the same like mental experiences uh, when it just comes to, you know, having like a huge weight on your shoulders on the court. Um, and I, I, I love that man. I hopefully one day I could end up coaching with him so I can learn even more because he, he really got me to a place this year that I, I didn't think I had much left in me and I got to the end of the season and I feel like I, they have so much left in the tank that like I can yeah. still go overseas and like play. Whereas like last year I was just kind of like, eh, I can be done. Like, I don't really care. But like now, like, like I want to keep going and like prove to like myself, but like also just like continue to like make Winder proud because of like all of the, this confidence and like all the skills that he gave me. I feel like one of the things that kids are going through now too. And I think the parents feel this like, okay, okay, now where are you going for high school? Okay, now where are you going for college? Okay. And then like, there's this big push and rush to get through it. And also what I think I'm hearing you say, which is, you know, now having the experience or, you know, 
of COVID, of an extra year of time to mature and grow. I mean, maybe you wouldn't have heard the messages two, three, four years ago, but now because of the path that you've gone on and the, the, you know, again, the experience that you've had also just like the right teacher appeared at the right time. And I, both of my boys have gone and done a prep school year. So they're now a year behind, but in, you know, if you're looking at it from a calendar wise, but what's the rush, you know, the rest of your life is taxes and, you know, and getting a job. So why not enjoy the unfolding, which again, you found in your fifth year that you really love this whole psychology, you know, like had you not had that extra year to figure that out, you know, you'd be fine, I'm sure on your other path, but wouldn't, you know, isn't it nice that some people don't figure out what they're really passionate about until they're 40 or 50 or 60. And then they feel like, well, I'm making too much money doing being an accountant. I can't, you know, pivot and write screenplays. But when you, you know, trip up on it, you know, accidentally or not at 22, 23, 24, what a gift. Yeah, I know. I'm, it's been a roller coaster and I've, you know, been pushed to my limits multiple times, but I am insanely proud and just happy with who it's made me and who I've become. And if I had to go back and put myself through it all over again, like I would look at myself and tell myself, you know, it's going to be hard. It's going to suck, but you'll make it through. And trust me, you'll be happy with how you come out of the other side. So you're, uh, are you the first AVCA player of the year that wasn't on one of the final four teams? Is that right? Did I understand that? Uh, well, I was actually, I did not win ABCA player of the year. I was just our conference player of the year. Um, okay. Oh, just. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I think I was the, I was the only conference player of the year that was not on the first team, which, Amazing. you Amazing. Know, think about that. If you think about it, sure, it might not make sense to you. But like, given that I had been an honorable mention the past four years, like finally feeling like I broke that ceiling and like improved enough and like I did it to the point where like the ABCA had to notice and they couldn't just throw me on honorable mention again. Like, wow. I don't care. Like I, like I, where is it? Oh, it's, it's in the other room over there. Um, but I got that. That's award. amazing. I yeah. like, I, I don't know. Like I, I feel like I finally did it and I'm not going to let anybody sit there and be like, Oh, you're a six year. You are oh No, like no. I had been through so much. I like, I deserve this. I had to work for this. And, you know, at the end of the day, I didn't even get the top award. So like, why are people mad? <laughs> no, no, not mad at all. In awe of all of your work ethic and hard work. And I know there's, there's so much behind it. And that's why I love for people to hear your story. Because if you look you up on social media, win, 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 this, this, everything's good. You know, no, there's a lot that goes on in order to, you know, get you to the place where you're like, the fact that you want to continue to keep playing. It doesn't matter if you're the, you know, one of the greatest in the world, if you're feeling empty inside. But I love that you're getting ready to, to you know, to continue on your journey. So maybe tell us what, you know, you talked about going overseas. When will you find out? When's the draft? Uh, so I have an agent right now that is my coach from last year's agent from when he used to play his name is Paul Carroll he also one of the most uh influential coaches I've had in my life because he actually played my position um I'm using his agent uh and we are exploring a few options uh looking at Europe or if 
things work out, I might end up in South America where it's a little warmer. That would be <laughs> not so bad. Very far away from the equator. Um, <laughs> so I will hopefully figure that out in the next couple weeks. Uh, but until then, I'm also, like I said, I'm training, just playing some beach also. Uh, I'm just going to not put too much pressure on it. Uh, cause I think a lot of people, like once their college season ends, like they're, I need to find a contract now. I need to sign now. And I've talked to enough people that like, I'm chill taking my time, like with the options that I have and with anything that might present itself, I'm, I'm in no rush, maybe in a couple yeah. of weeks, maybe in a little bit of a rush, but, uh, there definitely will be more volleyball for me in the future. So I'm when do you graduate? Uh, okay. So currently on my track, uh, I have like another year of clinical trials. So I have okay. this quarter, I have next quarter, and then I need to figure this out. I might have like one more class to take, which I might do in the fall, or I might take four classes in the summer, which would be really difficult. Uh, but I should be done with classes by the end of summer. And then I should be going into clinical trials next year, depending on what I'm doing as far as going overseas. This might be something yeah. I then wait until I come back. So we will see. Yeah. Like I said, like I'm but the, the volleyball has a finite life and you can keep chipping away at the degree, the second degree, right? So yeah, take advantage of the, your health and your ability to play overseas and make money. And I lived in Europe for 10 years after college. And how many regrets do I have that I picked up and left the United States to go to Europe for 10 years? Zero. You know, you never go, oh, gee, I wish I would have gotten a job and started to, you know, work right away. No, went to Europe, found Nike, met the man of my dreams, you know, you know, lived overseas for 10 years. It was amazing. So having those adventures are awesome. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really excited. I think just getting into a completely new environment, like I've been all over the country, America, uh, but like, I'm, I'm really excited for the possibility of getting to explore Europe, but just the world in general, like it's yeah. finally time. I don't have like school and volleyball, like every single day to like, keep me here. Like I can actually like explore yeah. now, have some amazing. Well, you're so kind and so generous of your time. And it's so lovely to hear your story. I think this is going to resonate with so many people on so many different levels. So thank you so much for sharing. But before I let you go, I'd like to ask you one question we ask all of our guests. Um, how would you finish this sentence? The best athletes I know do this. What do the best athletes you know do? And it can be from any perspective, whatever comes to mind. The best athletes. That is a good question. I really like that. <laughs> I want to start asking this to people now. Um, there are literally so many things going through my mind right now, but I want to pick like one that encompasses like a few of them. I would say the best athletes I know have the ability and willingness to adapt. So I think there's just like so many things that I feel like that might leave out. Uh, but just in terms of like, you know, athleticism and 
success, however you want to define those things. Uh, I think whatever you want to get out of your sport is the ultimate goal. Like if you want to play in college, if you want to play professionally, if you just want to stay in shape, like whatever it is. Uh, but I think even like, if you have your idea of what you want to do in mind, it's kind of like what you said, like, everything's not going to be a straight line. Like, you're not just going to say, I want this. I want that. Like this needs to happen. And then it's just going to happen. Like things are going to fall through. Things are going to, you know, not necessarily work out or things like aren't going to be as easy as you thought that they were going to be. And being able to think critically regroup and adapt and, you know, make situations work that aren't necessarily ideal or not where you thought you were going to be is what's going to put somebody over the edge. Because if somebody, if the second that something did not go someone's way, they're just like, okay, like I'm done. Like I quit. Uh, like that, that there's your career there. Like it, it just ended. <laughs> so like being able to, you know, roll with the punches and just kind of keep pushing forward. Uh, I think that's what separates good athletes from great athletes. And especially I, love that. I know like, yeah, they are the most resilient people that have put up with a lot and have overcome a lot. My three buzzwords are grit, resilience, and gratitude. And if you are gritty enough, which means you're willing to, for a long-term goal, when you set out as a freshman in high school, decide I'm going to start to play volleyball, to say seven years, eight years from now, Jalen, you're going to be sitting in a Pepperdine dorm room having just one you know, player of the conference of the year, like that took a lot of ups and downs to get you there, right? That was a lot of grit. And it wasn't just, oh, I'm just going to take a couple swings and I'm going to be the best, you know, the player of the year and no big deal, right? And then grit, where the resilience piece of coming back from shoulder injuries, coming back when the program gets cut, coming back from, you know, all the other things that we didn't even get a chance to talk about today. And gratitude, obviously, of such an, you know, I've heard you mention eight or nine coaches, like all of these people, this, I, I picture a stadium of people that are there cheering you on, right? That are all super Jalen fans because of how you show up. And when you show up that way, everybody wants you to succeed. And that is such a beautiful thing, which helps you rise faster and further than you could have ever gone on your own. Yeah, it really does. Like it's, it's an amazing thing. I really like that analogy. So the stadium people turning on, like I'm imagining I mean, that. I feel like so motivated. <laughs> right? You want to go work out, right? And I heard the rumor mill tells me that you're an amazing dancer. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, some Stanford so, uh, insiders that are like, oh my gosh, you should see this guy dance. He is amazing. So I want to see that someday. <laughs> Can I have you back? I get like some Rihanna playing. <laughs> I kid you not. Like it is, that's another thing that I do on the volleyball court to just keep me grounded. Like during timeouts, like we'll be down like in the third set and we're getting swept basically like down by 10 points and our coach called a timeout and I'm the first one to oh they're playing Rihanna let me just like move my scores a little so don't worry you will you will for sure see that sometime soon oh well thank you so much I can't wait to continue to follow your journey and um, parents where can they find you I'm sure you're on all the social channels uh yeah so uh I don't have TikTok which I'm working on though I'm working on <laughs> 
Uh, my Instagram is my name, Jalen Jasper, J-A-Y-L-E-N-J-A-S-P-E-R. Uh, also, I think I'm on Facebook, my name. Uh, and yeah, that is it. Twitter? Idea tweet? No. Uh, actually, no, I do not have Twitter, which is something else that I've been looking into, too, because I feel like I'm really- There we go. This may be the year for Twitter and TikTok. New, new experiences. Awesome. Yeah. Well, parents, if you enjoyed this, please like and share and leave us comments and let us know how we're doing. We too are trying to figure it out, fall down, stand up, do it all over again. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you soon. Let's do this.